0: Hey, Pete, how's your brain feeling? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right? How's that sound? Yeah. That's a good sign. <laughs> Vapor lock. Well, if it helps here, I can, I can narrow down the question a little bit. How's your brain feeling, Better. you know, size-wise? Ooh. Oh, no, do I have a small brain? I don't think so, Pete. I've got good news for you because a new study uh, in August of this year from the Australian National University examined the coexistence of anxiety and depression. The study, published in the Journal of Psychiatry and Neuroscience, examined 10,000 people and found those with depression alone had lower brain volumes, lower brain sizes, especially in the hippocampus. What did the second finding reveal? That when both anxiety and depression occur together, no shrinkage appears in the hippocampus, and our old friend the amygdala, the part of the brain linked to emotions, increases in size. They concluded that the overactivity of anxiety causes the brain to make more connections, and thus literally becomes larger. How's your brain feeling now? I have big brain! Check out the big brain on Pete. I have
1: big brain! Brain. And this actually helps
0: explain a lot to me because ever since what happened at the Capitol the other week, uh, I've had a pretty consistent headache, and I think it's just because oh, my brain yeah. is getting swollen. It's <laughs> we stormed the Capitol, and my brain is getting so jacked, yo. It's like the it's like the Grinch's heart at the end of the Grinch Stole Christmas. It's just like bursting out of your brain, out of, of your head cranium. Cage. Exactly.
1: Oh God, watch your ears; they're just gonna start
0: leaking. Oh, I can see my brain past my eyes if I look I can, close yeah. enough. Yeah, that's
1: how they did. Yeah, that's how they did it with lobotomies. They just trim off the part that leaks out. Yeah. that's what I hear they used to do that on the Nick.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, the Nick. I never watched that. I can't imagine that I'd enjoy that. <laughs> Anyways, no, you wouldn't. Yeah, because it's all like lobotomies and like we're not good at science, so let's just throw something sharp at you. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, enjoy your new brain, um, and it's getting bigger and bigger, and I, my best guess is that my new brain is going to find my old brain sitting on the beach and, like, kick sand in his face <laughs> and steal his best girl.
1: Aww. I know. <laughs> and you run around in your old letter jacket, and, exactly. oh, man. My new brain's
0: a jerk. <laughs> Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us. Go to what's whatsthatsmell.net. Again, What's whatsthatsmell.net and up sort of towards the top right, there is a little button that you press that Pete made out of internet juice and it says donate your anxiety and you can be an anonymous as you want. Just tell us whatever it is. We'll do research. We'll laugh about it. And we'll solve all your problems the end. Sound good? <laughs> Just like real science. Just like real science. <laughs> so reach out to us again. That's what's whatsthatsmell.net and with that, Pete, and with your permission I will go first Pete this week I'd like to start my section by having you watch a brief video and would you mind describing what you see to the audience and you'll put this in the show notes later it's very brief what do you see go ahead Pete
1: okay so I'm pushing play now And we open with a bunch of, uh, looks like high school students. They are graduating. They've got their purple gowns and purple caps and their yellow stoles. And parents are, everybody taking pictures. And, um, oh, and oh, for crying out loud. Parents are punching each other in the
0: audience. Tom. (laughs) Is it done? Uh, Yes, it's done. Pete, this brawl took place on May 17th, 2017 in Cordova, Tennessee. And what made it notable is that, as you saw, it happened during a high school graduation ceremony for Arlington High and was being held, as you maybe saw, in a Baptist church. Now, Pete, here's my question. Do you have any guesses about what that fight may have been about? How, what you, do you fight about when you're at your kid's graduation? That's a good question.
1: What is there to fight about? You didn't, you're graduating not hard enough. <laughs> right. Graduate faster. Seat? <laughs>
0: Seats. Seats uh pete is it somebody over a seat they're upset about seat arrangements pete, you got it in two saving <laughs> seats a member of a family was saving seats for her husband and children and a woman sat in one and refused to move when confronted as you saw well there are other more graphic versions of this video but it leads to hair pulling water and punches being thrown eventually the woman in the brown dress was handcuffed and escorted out of the church pete why am i telling you all of this this is awful because I have the honor of sharing a listener submission. Pete. But that's terrific—a <laughs> real one this time, not one that I wrote pretending to be from my your dog. dog. This one comes from the lovely and talented Dara Weinger, and it goes as follows: quote. Well, it doesn't necessarily relate in Corona era, but holding a seat for someone in a crowded theater, concert venue, or any scenario where there are more butts than seats makes me incredibly anxious. As soon as I sit down and reserve a seat next to me, I immediately break out in cold sweats for fear of potentially having to confront someone and tell them that the seat's taken. My body cannot regulate temperature until the reserved seat is filled with the person I'm holding it for. Dara, now... Pete. Anxiety over saving a seat, Pete. Seat, Pete! Of course. Okay. First and foremost, fistfights breaking over seat saving are incredibly rare. But this anxiety is so real and so right on for me, I am staggered we have not covered it yet. Flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted. Flabbergasted. And I'm surprised that there doesn't seem to be a specific name for this feeling. I could not find a phobia of saving seats. But uh, the big surprise of that is, Dara, please know you are not alone. Pete, you want me to go first? Or do you want to explain, do you have this anxiety ever in your life? In a word, yes. <laughs> now you. Okay. I have been in this position a lot, not as much anymore, luckily, because, well, not not anything anymore, because I don't leave my house and I'm saving what my dog is seat, eat. Uh, but when I would, most of the things in Los Angeles that I go to are now all reserved seating. So I don't have to worry about it. But when I've been in this position in the past, especially growing up, uh, I feel like a range of feelings. First, if it's just one seat, for me, no problem. That's okay. But if it's more, yes, I worry about confrontation. I worry what I'm doing is rude to others or is breaking some sort of social contract. And then I get... Sometimes if it takes too long, I get angry at whomever I'm waiting for and wondering why they're taking so long. It's worth pointing out that there can be a certain amount of resentment in this. You've been forced to represent the many and have sort of been left alone against the rising tide. So, yeah, this one is can be really rough. And I'm surprised it's not rough for certain other people.
1: Yeah, like for the people who ask you to save seats. It should be rough for those people, too. Like, they (laughs) should know that what you're asking is you're asking me to be like Nero or Hannibal on a march to the sea. Like, you're asking me to put on an outfit of seat-holding courage (laughs) that I do not wield often. Right. Right? Like, you have to have a certain callousness to the universe to hold especially long seats like it's, it's like when like people say here right. just take take three or four of our jackets and throw them <laughs> out on the seat and we'll be there we're just parking the car just parking the car those words are anathema to good citizenship in the seat holding debate <laughs> here, here. we're just parking the car that's BS right there. What you're doing is you're just taking your sweet damn time and leaving me holding 11 seats at the parade of lights and I'm having none of it. Wow. Oh, I did not know that we were peeling this back today.
0: This this is, you have uncovered a monster, Dara. And the monster's name is Pete. Holy cow. I like that that you used like, yeah, like Battlefield. I was sort of, it's like, put it putting your finger in the dike. Like, you're the only thing keeping the flood, but it's at like, a Coldplay concert. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. But but that's the thing. Like, you have, I feel like I need to put on,
1: like, my punk hairdo and my jacket of spikes, and I right. need to go in, like, with my baseball bat of nails to protect the seats. Right. Protect the seats. All I do is I sit down in a seat and there are coats, and I just pretend for as long as I possibly can that they're not mine. That they actually belong to the person on the other side of of the saved oh. seats. And then when confronted, I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you, that those seats are even remotely saved until I'm outed by the nincompoop on the other side who says, Oh, yeah, no, I'm not saving any. These must belong. And they don't finish any sentences. I'm not saving any. These must belong. <laughs> and they're indicating that this belongs to me and I have to look like a doofus right. with the save seats and then I get ready for battle. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate but it. But
0: you do really lean into it by going, who's called? Are these like really shining a spotlight on it? Of like, boy, whoever these these coats are is a real a real yeah. It's kind of like I don't know Hannibal going into battle. If like you're just screaming, <laughs> screaming the word anathema, while then whispering to your phone, "Hurry up, hurry up." Hurry up. They know it's me, Scott.
1: Hurry up! Yeah. I'm alone. The text, the text threads, and of course you're in a theater, so your texts aren't getting out to people, and right. so it's just string of bubble, a bubble on the right and no bubbles on the left they're all you bubbles and no gra- which makes you feel completely and utterly and depressively
0: alone right in your battle for the seats and then you Tom. Get, you like think about you envision what is your family or what are your friends doing out in the lobby they're yeah. just chatting they're, they're making drinking. a soufflé <laughs> yeah <laughs> like anything right. that just takes so long and then those, of course the soufflé falls they're like okay back to the drawing yeah. Yeah. board yeah
1: and then you know what happens the lights flash? Yeah. Right? The lights flash. They do the first light flash, like, five minutes, uh-huh. and they're still not there. Yeah. They're still not there, and the lights are flashing, which means you now are no longer trying to be chill. You're standing up, and you're looking sternly toward the doors in the back just of the theater. Just screaming the
0: word jacket. Just mad.
1: <laughs> and you're probably... <laughs>
0: Who's Jack? These jackets aren't people. Rise yeah. up, Gotham. Yeah.
1: I have a real hard time with this one. How have we not talked about this? Isn't before? that weird? This is just yeah.
0: She right. yeah. Uh, she had said that it was going to be something about timeliness, and then and oh, then when God. it was this, I was like, oh right, yeah. But here's the
1: thing, though. I'm really worried about our future because, like this, she said it doesn't relate to COVID. Um co- and it right. it doesn't really in COVID times. But I think it does eventually, right? Because we're going back into a universe where we still have to social distance in theaters, which means fewer seats available to the same number or more butts. Right? Oh, it's gonna and be even sure, worse. They're all gonna be like we're gonna have a lot of reserve seats in most cases, I imagine. That's right. But my I I feel like Supply is now significantly below demand right? for the same events.
0: That's a good point. We're going to have to bring so many more jackets because you have to reserve the social distance <laughs> Yeah, you have to tie them together. And then the other- <laughs> And string them long, stretch like a cartoon prison escape.
1: We just have like these long <laughs> sheets. sheets tied together. What are the? Wait, open the closet. Why are three hundred sheets tied together? Well, those are our seat saving <laughs> yeah, sheets because my cousin's in town. Ooh. Product idea, Tom. We. <laughs> We need to
0: watch that smell anxiety sheet-saving sheet-knots. <laughs> How have we not thought of this? Anxiety seat-saving sheet-knots. That's that's rough. Yeah. Seat saving sheet right Seat-saving sheet-knots. Seat-saving sheet-knots. You should knots. have
1: anxiety just saying it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not, then you're not doing it right. <laughs>
0: Um, I did do a very brief and wholly unscientific check on a number of like etiquette <laughs> columns. You know, the, just the top ones like Miss Manners, yeah. Ask Alice, Dear Meredith from the Aspen Sojourner, the Peggy Post, the Oklahoman. You know, all the the hot sites that the kids love yeah. when they're not on TikTok. They're just all over the Aspen Sojourner. I don't even know what that I word can't. means. Um, and uh, and another thing, this is this question is asked constantly. And then there are also these op-eds in different places just coming in hot, saying, enough. Stop. Stop sharing seats. We can't do it. And um, But anyways, the consensus, if there is one, seems to be that saving one or two seats is okay, but three or more starts to get iffy, and that's only acceptable if the people you're saving for are on the premises already. And so it'll only yes. be like 15 minutes. Like they're getting a drink, not still driving to the event or yeah. boiling pasta water or whatever people do. <laughs> or not... souffles. Yeah,
1: exactly. Lobby souffles. Yeah. No, I, that I was just going to say that. A bathroom trip, <laughs> saving seats for a bathroom trip. I actually feel remarkably comfortable saving seats if the people walk into the theater with me. If we've all claimed <laughs> sure. these are our seats and and they leave their own jackets there, I am fine saying, oh, no, they went to the bathroom. They'll be right back. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's okay. That's okay.
0: I completely agree. Yeah. But it's still, it's only for me, like, even if four or five people get up to go get a drink or something, yeah. it's a little... It's a little rough. Yeah,
1: it's rough. Yeah, it's it is rough. It's still out there. How do you oh, feel I about like
0: this one at all? Saving seats in the bathroom. <laughs> well,
1: I do have my patented "What's that smell?" Urinal saving, uh, urinal squatting sheets. When
0: is our new catalog coming out? Because these products I know we really are, need it. Because right now yeah. it only has
1: two products in it.
0: <laughs> one of the things that I found uh, while doing a little bit of research is this really comes up a lot in one situation that didn't even occur to me: Southwest airline flights. <sighs> apparently there is an epidemic. Oh, for those that might not know Southwest airlines has a very interesting first come first serve seating situation. You're assigned a number. And then once you get on the plane, you can pick any seat that you want, wherever it is. And yeah. so there's just a run on, you know, um, aisles and windows. And then at some point they start, you know, while people are still filing down the personal go over, the can be like, it's just middles. Everybody, <laughs> you see a middle yeah, ticket, right. no magical seats waiting. Anyways, there are reports, tons of uh, complaints that one family member buys early bird status, which puts you in the top, like, 15, and then reserves and then everybody gets multiple in. rows of seats for their family members who are way back in the line. Um, yeah. And uh, I looked it up. The airline doesn't have a policy allowing or forbidding any seat saving. They leave it to the passengers and the flight attendants to solve disputes on their own. And there's actually a lot of flight attendants that have anonymously come out and said, please stop it. Yeah, <laughs> We're getting an argument all the time um it is such a hot topic that on the company run online forum the southwest airlines community one thread had so many comments about this that the moderator shut it down and replaced the issue resolved after four months of just one thread of comments and then uh three days later the topic opened back up and it still remains (laughs) there today it is
1: like a serious problem cannot get rid of it that's amazing to me and i i think that is why and i actually for all other reasons i actually really like southwest and mm-hmm. when i'm traveling alone i like southwest but if i'm traveling with multiple if i'm traveling with my family i will not fly southwest i really? won't do it for this reason right? especially when my kids are young when when my kids were young because again there's there is no policy beyond the goodwill of airline passengers which i don't know if you've noticed is not a, a real sort of concentrated <laughs> That no. of goodwill no. when you're
0: flying because after it's a always, long day. Everything about the airport is so terrible. By the time you get to the flight, yeah. it's like you just got released into prison. <laughs> like, right. Right. Yeah, you just have to go up to the biggest guy you see and hit him in the face so no yeah, one bothers and say, you. Hey,
1: will you let me six, sit next to my three-year-old who doesn't want to sit between those two adult men? Right. Like, can, can, can I please trade seats with you? And they're like, nope, my mm, aisle seat's more important than your familial duty Sorry. Yeah. You know, I can't I can't stand that. I can't stand the whole experience. Southwest is an just agonizing experience because of their seat policy. That's yeah,
0: because I fly mostly alone. You're right. I don't suffer from that. And yeah. I'm a big not to pat myself on the back, but I am a big seat changer, meaning if I'm asked by a family if they can yeah. sit together. Oh, so you're the goodwill guy. I'm the goodwill the guy, one. but then there's another side of it is usually if you do that, free drinks. The flight attendant will notice that, and if you want, we'll start giving you beer. It's happened to me three different times, and you know I'm not paying for it. She'll like pretend she'll be like, "Oh, do yeah. you have another coupon?" And I'm like, "No," and she goes, "Okay, I'll take it," and then gives me a beer. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so That's then like awesome. three beers in, I'm like, "How long have you been a family? <laughs> like it's it doesn't end up great, but certainly um, so three and a half, four. <laughs>
1: I, Um, yeah, yeah, no, I can't, that is, I, that is a one of now many reasons that I do love flying Southwest and, uh, but I will not, I will not fly it with people. Yeah.
0: It makes sense. Yep. Well, Dara, there's no real solution to this. (laughs) I mean, sometimes we try to, we can help in that you are clearly not alone and clearly you and Pete have
1: started. Sometimes Dara, that's the line and that's all we got. (laughs) Exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, but no, especially if it does help, if you're really just saving it for like one person or two people, most people really do understand there isn't the spotlight on you. You don't need to suffer the cold sweats. But then past that, yeah, all we can hope for is it's a double act of charity. You are being nice in saving seats for someone, and you need to rely on the charity of other people mm-hmm. observing that and allowing that compact.
1: Or arlington
0: high school 2017 yeah or just Class bring extra water to throw and... right if you start punching first odds are you'll be fine no one wants to sit next to punchy that's what we're going to leave them with that's
1: good that's our advice for today.
0: punch first
1: medicines, communication, velcro. So much of what we take for granted on the ground today started in hollow tubes way, way up above us. Thanks to science, complex lodgings and laboratories travel around our planet at thousands of miles per hour to support our fragile terrestrial human organism and allow us to continue to tick-tock without interruption. Alas, what goes up, so the saying goes, Must come down. The fragile balance between gravity's pull to Earth and momentum is not infinite without some sort of corrective action from time to time. If the Earth bound satellite or station overlords lose contact with facilities in space for some reason, eventually it might just fall the European GOCE satellite, or the Upper Atmosphere Research Satellite, or the Pegasus-2, or the Salyut-7, or the Tiangong one space station, and on, and on. Thanks to Space.com for offering us that partial list of the largest ex-space machines, each of which has fallen into the atmosphere, burning to large pieces, and falling to Earth. A fun example, the Cosmos 954 was a confidential nuclear Soviet spy satellite. It weighed in at 8,400 pounds. Launched in late 1977, the rocket booster never fired or separated from the satellite itself, which would have lifted it to what they call a nuclear-safe orbit. Instead, it made a very real and nuclear-threatening, out-of-control re-entry just a few months later, spreading its radioactive guts across northwestern Canada. The Canadian government sent the Soviets a $6 million bill. But that wasn't the biggest space bomb to fall out of control. That honor belongs to Skylab, the NASA space station launched in 1973. The station weighed in at 85 tons and hosted only three visits between 73 and 74 before they just sort of gave up on it. Solar activity and the expanding Earth's atmosphere had unpredicted effects on the station, and science could no longer control it. By 1979, it fell uncontrolled through the atmosphere, burning up over Western Australia. The Aussies living in Esperance charged NASA $400 for littering, a bill ultimately covered by a California DJ in 2009 thanks to the generous, if-a-touch-tardy, donations from his listeners. donations didn't help keep Skylab afloat because they came too late you don't have to let the same thing happen to your favorite anxiety podcast by becoming a what's that smell certified panic pal you're ensuring that we stay in comfortable podcast orbit around your psyche for a one time contribution to the show you're supporting the production hosting and time that we invest in season five you'll have our immense gratitude you'll be mentioned at length in our conversations behind your back as quote a real mensch and you'll be one of the recipients of a sticker. Shipments begin this week. Just visit whatsthatsmell.net to learn more. Sign up for yourself, or if you're feeling grandiose, sign up for one of your friends with a gift membership. Thank you for supporting Season 5 of What's That Smell? Tom, uh, I, have a, I have a dog story. So oh, good! It's from a few weeks ago now.
0: Okay.
1: It's, my dog is a real jerk sometimes. This oh, is. Wow. Yeah. Gambit. Uh, we were walking and, uh, it it was raining because Portland and we got down to the path and the path that we usually walk on was particularly muddy and there were kids on skateboarder skateboards and we we don't care for them on dog walks. And then there was another woman and her much larger dog and her dog was really doing fine. My dog was not doing fine. Just decided I'm going to lose it. Uh, and so we, we'd made it. (laughs) About seventy-five yards past this person with the big dog. <sighs> with the big dog, and you know, it was wet, and uh, the dog was wrapping itself around me, and I, um, I, I decided I need to change leash hands. And I usually have the little loop around my right wrist, but he ran around my back, uh-huh. so I took it off my wrist. Oh, and no. in that sweet second, he decides, you know what? I'm, I'm still not done. I'm not done being a
0: complete <laughs> that dog. Seventy-five asshat. <laughs>
1: Right now. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a run and was gone. And I mean, he was 60 yards before I'd taken three steps. And I, you know, I do my freak out thing and I start running. Yep. And I start yelling, oh (laughs) man. He's running, but not only... You start running to the pet store. <laughs> right, 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 Well, I guess this one's done. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and so I start running towards it. Now, the, the woman in question has the giant Sony noise-canceling headphones oh, on, so no. she can't so hear she's a She's not hearing right, any of right. this. Okay. So now, go ahead, in terms of a visioning exercise, and pretend you're hurt. It's raining. You have a really chill dog uh, who's yep. doing the walking thing slowly through a muddy... Bog of a park path, and then a little white lightning dog hits your dog, followed almost immediately by a 200 plus pound man who's been screaming at you dog inbound, dog Dog inbound, inbound. look out all at once. That's got to feel great. That's got to feel just great. So I get there, and I put my left foot on the leash, which is on the ground. Of course, that's in the mud. And I slip, and I twist my back out of whack, and I twist my ankle out of whack all at once. And I'm trying to maintain my chill as I'm covered in mud and uh, trying to do my best to explain that my dog is not normally like that, knowing full well that my dog is always like that. And I am (laughs) lying to a fellow human being, and that feels dirty, too. So why am I telling you this? I don't know. I haven't been able to let it go. It's now been weeks, and I'm still thinking about that experience. And that, it is the act of not being able to let it go that I would like to talk to you about today. And that is
0: perseveration. Mm. Mm. Yes. Really puts persevering (laughs) on something. (laughs) Obsessing on something. Yeah. Now, I use that word. I think
1: you know. I use that word a lot. And I use it all the time. It is a a real
0: fan. I've been told that we both use it a lot on this podcast. Friend of the show, Scott Lamb, says that last season we used it, he thinks, every single episode. (laughs) I
1: think we did. And I started thinking about it. Why do I... It was only when I realized I've been thinking about that event... I constantly thinking about how, ah, stuff still hurts, like I'm not healing, it's because of that event, I can't let go of that event, and then I'm, you know, it's I just constantly that refrain of, God, I hope yeah. I didn't terrify that woman, I hope she had, doesn't need therapy after seeing my giant self bounding in on her and falling <laughs> at her feet in the mud, and like, I just hope all of those things didn't happen, I can't let go of that, it's been so long, and I realize I'm, well, I'm perseverating, but I think I use that yeah. word a little bit cavalierly oh okay and so i decided i'm going to look it up because now i'm feeling anxious about using the word incorrectly (laughs) so i'm thinking over and over again maybe i just need a new word so i so i start looking
0: so first you look up the word spiraling (laughs) and then you You head on over to the peas so we talk about
1: what uh, perseveration when you use it what is the context that you are describing?
0: I use it synonymous with obsessing, and I do it not in a real serious way, like literally obsessing. Mm-hmm. But um, I probably use it the most in thinking about things that uh, bothered me or I regret. Like I perseverate and I kind of like use it the same thing as like worrying a sore tooth with your tongue. Yeah. Like I just can't get it, leave it alone. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: I think so. And, and that fits the definition. Uh, perseveration is repetitive and continuous behavior, speech, or thought that occurs due to changes in cognitive skills such as memory, attention, and mental flexibility. And I talked about mm-hmm. a very similar topic on the ADHD podcast not long ago because, um, because of the attention aspect to it right because attention uh it, it, attention dysregulation like when you when you have adhd you can't regulate your attention and so you naturally sort of uh, pivot to whatever is is causing you stress mm. and anxiety and so that's why okay. it pairs so naturally with with stress and anxiety and and those those sorts of things because when you're anxious about something um, it's easy to just focus on it and let it let it right. take root in right. in your head so we know that that stress and anxiety drive perseveration. Social anxiety causes us to be unable to sort of read the room, right? There are all kinds of read the room stories of people who are who are have this repetitive uh, speech, repetitive conversation when they are in a social situation and they're stressed out, and they suddenly feel like I, I I recognize in my eyes and ears that the conversation has moved on to something new, but I can't stop talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles right now. So I'm just. Gonna I'm going to freight train my way right through it and keep talking about wow. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that is a, an absolute uh, behavior. Like when you get something on the brain and you can't let it go, when you're stressed, it'll
0: just keep pouring out of your face and you can't stop it. Because ev- wh- why is that? It, uh, not like the clinical reason, but is it because you can't think, you can't pivot, like you can't think of anything else? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Because and you, you have a social need to keep talking ooh. and that's... exactly. The- that's exactly Got it. You
1: just can't like you can't think of anything wow. else.
0: And it becomes that
1: story of mental flexibility in those of us who deal with social anxiety at the level of social anxiety. Uh and and so it's just you know, there are any number of reasons we'll talk about in a minute about why that might happen and things you can do yeah. to your for yourself to help improve improve that mental flexibility and practice. Um but generally when when you're stressed, you have fewer choices. If you don't really right. intention, but put some intention behind it, um, you know, we do the same thing with with projects. When you fixate on projects that you know you work and work and work until midnight one, two in the morning, and you think, okay, I'm doing great, and you realize you're just turning out crap at this point, but you can't let go. You can't stop working on. Right. On that thing, whatever that thing is, right? Right. I mean, how many yeah. how many times have you sat down and you're you're working on something in Premiere and you feel like, oh, I'm just going to go until I pass out. I have to finish, and then you turn it on the next morning. And you're like, it's not even the same project. Like, why was I <laughs> right. why was I re-editing Thundercats cartoons? Because right. <laughs> this was misguided.
0: Do, I do the thing if it after a certain point. Yes, I'm also I'm not actually making progress. I'm sort of changing it from A to B. Slightly back to A to B. Like it just loses its ability to be its own thing. Yeah. And so I'm not even moving on. Yeah. I'm just sort of like going back and forth that I need to just shut it down. Yeah. yeah. Right.
1: Well, and this was the thing I started worrying about that that I use this word perseveration, and maybe I don't know quite the depths of, of which like clinically they use the word perseveration. And so that's why I wanted to look at it. I just have a couple of quick examples before we talk about, you know, how to how to stay healthy through this stuff and give yourself some more choices uh, because sometimes mm-hmm. uh, it, it's got increased association and experience uh, with people who have brain injury, traumatic brain injury, you know, those ER, ER storylines where somebody walks into the ER and they have a, a rebar through their brain. Uh, that's a person who's going to perseverate later, right? Who's going to have trouble, like mental inflexibility uh, later, mm-hmm. right? Um, Alzheimer's, aphasia, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, Huntington's, they all deal, all of these diseases, these neurodegenerative disorders lead toward uh, perseveration ocd obsessive compulsive Mm -hmm. disorder absolutely i mean that's practically the definition of of perseveration and uh finally this is one i found fascinating which is autism And I, I hope you'll indulge me. I have two paragraphs I would like to read. One, this is from Henny Kuferstein, who is a delightful uh, blogger and uh, musician um, and uh, vlogger on YouTube with autism and describes the difference between OCD and autistic people. And I, I actually I, I, understand something new about the world after reading Ooh. these things that I did not understand before, and I hope I can share oh, it. Great. Okay. great. It, it actually made me feel better about the world in one small way. Hello. According to Henny Kufersine, OCD is an obsessive compulsion to repeat a task or to be involved with a matter. It becomes a disorder when the person is unable to withhold from completing the task. The lead-up to the task, checking the stove, locking the door, is rife with a, a pre-sneeze panic. It must come out. You must sneeze. Involuntary functions are aroused rather than paralyzed. It simply bursts forth like the sneeze that popped after you smelled a bunch of lilies. The person becomes more and more anxious as they repeat the task. Trying to ignore or stop your obsessions increases your distress and anxiety, and despite efforts to ignore the urges, they keep coming back. This leads to a more ritualistic behavior and the vicious cycle of OCD. So that's the first paragraph, and, okay. and that describes my experience with it, right? Okay. That describes my experience, even when I use the word non-clinically. It is perseveration. It is the, the focus on negative thought patterns, negative thought spirals that eventually leads to a full-blown panic attack, and that's exhausting, and I hate it, and it's terrible. And then she says this. Autistic people operate with a radically different neurological setup. The structural anatomy of autistic brains are nearly indistinguishable from typical brains. However, the neurons fire up and move through pathways that result in a dramatically different worldview. A person with synesthesia is not mentally ill if they hear a number as a color. They're not having hallucinations, but rather experiencing a multisensory perception to a single stimulus. These perceptions are very exciting for autistic people and quite pleasing. The autistic person is happier the more they engage in their perseverations. The person who has OCD becomes more anxious as they try to resolve their compulsions. And uh, I, I don't know if you have it. That, that was it. That's that's what she had to say. Huh. I love that point. The autistic person is happier the more they engage in their perseverations, as opposed to the person right. living with OCD who's, who becomes more anxious as they try to resolve like losing control. Yes. Right. Yes. And so and that is uh, maybe that's the uh, the 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 switch to flip, which is that this is something we can learn about autistic people, people who are uh, like are naturally because of the way they are wired, naturally find joy Instead of sorrow and anxiety in things that um, that we're perseverating on. And I found that really hopeful. I found that really hopeful yeah. because I don't I don't live with autism and I would never want to put myself in the shoes of, uh, you know, somehow trying to describe someone else's experience with autism. But I can tell you for sure that. Hearing the way Henny Kuferstein describes this was aspirational for me. It was absolutely yeah. aspirational, and uh, i I really loved hearing that that framing exercise. So what do you think you learn anything out of that?
0: Where does the pleasure come from again? I think I got a little bit lost in that part. Why is it? because because the synesthesia turned yeah. up but i didn't know how because does that it's the relate it's the, the
1: engagement part right it's the the joy comes in engaging the perseveration so when you're uh, you know she goes on to talk about you know when you're perseverating on hey you you're say a person with autism is in the backseat of the car and you're driving and you're trying to get to someplace they know where to go and they tell you you went the wrong way you went the wrong way and with every turn you make you're getting more frustrated because you have somebody in the back seat who's reminding you that you went the wrong way or you you went your way instead of their way and it's incredibly frustrating uh-huh. and now um like what what's happening for you is that repeat frustration and what's happening for them is i am getting such joy out of just engaging in the way my brain is perceiving direction right now that i know i know so it's how the map stress. works right now and i know right? that this is and i have to keep doing this i have to keep doing this and what causes it to be troublesome is when the world around <laughs> them is starts you know getting so loud and screaming at them to stop but in fact inside their head the way she's talking about this is that there's there's actually it's firing uh, uh, a, a lot of joy and huh. and engagement, and I think that's kind of cool. So that's very cool and well explained. Thank you for that. the well of things I don't know about so much. Neurodiversity is deep, but yeah. this one uh, I I feel like helped me understand a population I don't understand uh, very well in a way that I really love and and love to engage. Yeah. So. For those of us who aren't uh, living with autism, um, there are some things that help resolve perseveration, and they're pretty much to be expected. Do you want to take a stab? We'll do a
0: little Survey Says. Oh, okay. Let's see. Um, don't leave your apartment. <laughs> survey Stay, Says no. Tra- train, train your dog to make you a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Tape your eyes shut. Uh. <laughs> No,
1: pretty much uh, the things you need to do to to be able to uh, maintain mental flexibility are uh, sleep, Mm -hmm. exercise, avoid alcohol, eat well... Develop a mindfulness practice that is more than, I'm scared of this. I'm scared of this. I'm scared of this. Uh, those are the, those are the big ones. But there's one that we're, I think we're all struggling with. And it's why I think I might be living with perseveration now. Uh, with, when I'm perseverating on some things right now that maybe I wouldn't otherwise. And that is maintain mm-hmm. healthy contact with friends and family. Uh, oh, and, okay. and, uh, because that, that sort of social interaction is really, really good for the brain, uh, just like everything else. And you're you not,
0: see, and you're not alone in yeah, your own haunted house. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And so, okay. uh, those are some things that, that we can do better and make sure, you know, it's not just, I, I actually think, I know there's a lot of zoom fatigue right now. And we talked about that recently on the show, Like just get zoom gets old, but you know what? I, I think there is something about Looking as close to you can, as you can to in someone else's eyes, right? That you mm-hmm. know someone you haven't connected with in a long time to jump on to jump on Zoom, jump on Facetime, whatever you need to jump on, and and look at somebody and and share your world with them and practice those conversations and and remember how to be uh, how to be a human. What do you think? I like it.
0: My brain is getting too big. <laughs> Maybe today wasn't the time to teach me something new because I can I'm just seeing black. <laughs> I've got to, I've got There's too much. Somebody got
1: to pop it. Somebody get the ice pick. Intern. Ice pick, Tom. No,
0: ice pack. Ice pack. Ice pack. <laughs> oh, idiot. Trying to get it worldwide, global. Looking like a show. you have be killing this. <laughs> this is O2 Spiller. Spiller. The whole man killer. Life's so free. Can no man kill him. Can. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is Mini Me by We Are the Good, all caps. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell?